Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Uh, but I'll introduce today's speaker, which looks like it's going to be me. Uh, I grew up in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church in Southside Bethlehem. My mom was Baptist and my dad was Wesleyan and they came to Bethlehem so my dad could work on a, an engineering graduate degree at Lehigh and they found Fritz Methodist Church around the corner from Lehigh in their search, going, intending to go around and look at different churches there. And uh, many of you will remember Burns Broadhead. He was the pastor there at the time. And they arrived at that church, and they fell in love with Burns and the church, and they joined that church and never went anywhere else. And so the four of us siblings, um, <clears throat> three of us born in Bethlehem, uh, grew up in, in that church. And uh, it was a great community of grace. Um, you know, I won't say that I got all the mysteries of God or came to a full understanding of faith there. If you think back about your childhood, you can remember your sins, probably. Maybe you don't want to, but you probably can. And uh, so I can remember the good and the bad um, of those years in church. We just had a funeral for one of the um, ladies, the dear pillars of the church, Mary Lou Hemmerly who in her 90s passed away about a month ago. And my bro they had, the family asked my brother and I to do the service uh, up at Fritz. And uh, I remember the Hemmerleys, like so many other uh, parents of the faith, were just that for me as a, a child. That um, they ran special events, an annual Christmas party, uh, they were part of a small group with my mom and dad. Um, I was friends with their son, Brian. We used to have a children's choir, youth choir in those days. And so there was an adult choir on that side and a children's choir on this side. And remembering how I used to, I used to have a funny bone where I would just start to laugh uncontrollably in church. The, the strangest things would catch me to be funny. Not that they were funny to my parents out there watching. <laughs> Uh, and I would start laughing uncontrollably. And Brian, who was sitting next to me, Brian Emerly, and Will Grace, the pastor's son, sitting next to me on the other side, we'd just start to laugh. And I'm sure that my mom and dad were over there in uh, chagrin, wondering, wondering when I was going to get control of myself. Um, but, you know, the people at the church were so kind to me. Uh, I didn't get a, a cross word from the congregation about that. And I, I, I told you, we, we reminisced about exploring around the church. Kids, if you've been here any length of time, you've probably explored every nook and cranny of the church that you could find. And I did the same in Fritz Church growing up. And it was a church that was about, you know, built maybe just after the Civil War and with an awesome bell tower that was like a castle tower. And we were determined as kids to find our way into that tower. And imagine that the tower was here 
And to get there, you had to find access through the ceiling over there and get across the roof of the sanctuary to the tower. And uh, we figured out how to do that. <laughs> and and one occasion when I was really pretty young, I was probably about eight, um, the... Uh, the access went through a little curtain on the third floor Sunday school uh, floor. And you had to get uh, through this curtain. You kind of, And we were skinny, so we could press our way through and get up there. And I started to walk across the ceiling. Who knew that you couldn't walk on a drop ceiling? <laughs> right? Well, I found out. And I fell through the drop ceiling because, of course, the tiles are like, you know, nothing. And fell eight feet down to the floor below. Praise God I hadn't gone further out over the sanctuary because that would have been a bad fall. Might not be here today. Um, but you know what? The folks who discovered me never told my mom and dad. <laughs> Talk about grace, right? Discovering the grace of God in the church. Uh, even though I didn't understand all the mysteries of the gospel, I got from an early age that Jesus was special. And if you read his teaching, you find that out anyway. You find out he says incredible things about all kinds of stuff, about how to live, about who God is, about who he is, uh, about how to overcome, about uh, the, the, the enemy we're dealing with and how to, to defeat him and so many things. From the time I was little in Sunday school learning about him, um, I remember my Sunday school teachers. One of them was Dr. Sprague, who was a professor of chemistry at Lehigh. And he had been an atheist um, for much of his life. And he, you know, as a, an, he was an intellectual at the university, quite convinced that he knew best about what the world was like and what eternity was like, and had taken his stand on atheism. And then at a lay witness mission uh, at our church, which lay witness missions came here, when the church burned at the end of the 1970s, uh, some of you can remember that there was a lay witness mission that came here. Basically, it's lay people that came and shared about their experience of faith in Jesus Christ. As lay people, not as clergy and not as paid professionals, if I put it that way, but as folks in the pew who had had a, an amazing experience of God and wanted to share it with other churches. And uh, a lay witness mission came here when the church burned down and was a key part of the new life of God that he was doing, even as the physical building was ruined. It opened the way for new things in the spirit and eventually a new building up here. Um, that lay witness mission at my home church in Bethlehem, Dr. Sprague gave his life to Christ, and he became uh, a beautiful influence in my life. He introduced me to C.S. Lewis, who today still influences me so much. I, I have uh, regular devotions with C.S. Lewis that I read, and every time I read him, I'm blessed and challenged and stretched in my spiritual life. And Dr. Sprague introduced me to him. And he and his wife were dear friends and part of that fellowship with my parents. And, um, you know, their children were the kids that we ran with in the church. He's part of the family of God. 
uh, as a, a teenager, you know, I believed in Jesus. I sure did. In fact, because my mom was Baptist, I didn't get baptized till I was 12. She wanted me to have that, like, I know what's going on experience. I got to tell you the truth. At the age of 12, you don't necessarily know what's going on either. <laughs> there was a lot I had to learn. And, um, you know, when I, uh, I got to college, uh, some of my best friends were D&D buddies. Anybody know what D&D is? So I was a, a super addicted D&D &D player. And it was like part of my, uh, a key part of my social life. In fact, it was probably where I got, uh, figured out how to be friends with other people by playing D&D &D with them. And in high school, uh, I just spent loads of time with these D&D &D buddies. And some of them were um, dabbling in things that were pretty dark. They were looking for spiritual experience and soon turned away from looking for that in the in the church and started turning to really witchcraft and um, literally people who worship Lucifer and some um, looking in the realm of hallucinogenics for spiritual experience and as a Christian, I knew that there was a problem with all of that, but I was fascinated. I have to say I was fascinated with the idea of spiritual experience. And so I would listen to them. They'd tell me their experiences. Oh, yeah, we, we took hallucinogenic mushrooms, and we saw demons. Wow. And they hated us so much, and they were telling me about this stuff. And I was thinking, whoa, I'm glad I did not experience that firsthand, but I want to hear all about it. And gradually their influence on me um, drew me to start reading some of the stuff they were reading, which was just in pure spiritual confusion written by people who did not know God, but who claimed to be spiritual. And some of that suckered me. Some of that hooked me. And for as much as I loved my home church, the power of God in the sense of his miraculous, wonder-working power to do the same things that it says he's done in the Bible and that Jesus said his followers would do in his name. And he doesn't give like a time limit on it. Um, they may have been happening, but I didn't hear about them. You know, it, we and, and part of what I'm talking about there is the power of the Holy Spirit who's at work in the church. I didn't hear about him. Now, the truth is, my parents went to a charismatic fellowship as part of what they were doing. Another professor at Lehigh by the name of Doug Fever, who became my classics professor eventually. Did you know that my introducing a speaker was going to go this long? <laughs> um, he, uh, he was a beautiful but very subtle influence in my life. And my parents went to a charismatic fellowship with him for a couple years. And um, but, you know, as a kid, I would sit in those meetings and I think I would probably twiddle my thumbs because I have no memory whatsoever of what he said to them, building them up. And maybe that's some of what it is to have childhood faith, right? You can only hear certain things. You don't get everything. You get a few things they are like seeds planted in soil and some of them are just covered over and forgotten and others sprout a little bit and others are just totally lost. 
Uh, here's the funny thing. Years later, when I had recommitted my life to Christ, my parents had tapes by Doug Fever that they had saved and kept. And as I was in that stage of life in my early 20s, I started to play those tapes in the car listening. And I thought, wow, this guy is great. He's so inspiring. And he said things that became then part of my 20-somethings spiritual development. Uh, including ideas on on sex and dating and marriage and and how to navigate life successfully in all those realms and uh, a new insight and ways of thinking about things that I hadn't really heard growing up. You know, one one of the reasons, um, well, I needed that. Let's just put it that way. I needed that. Um, All part of the life of faith given by the saints to each other, sometimes with seeds that grow up later. Uh, I left the faith during college because of all that junk I was reading and looking for spiritual experience. I remember one day up in the attic saying to Jesus, Lord, I know you're special, but I'm hearing all these things about alternatives and I've got to find out for myself the truth about them. And so forgive me, but I'm going to turn and look now in those areas. And I wandered off for two or three years into the craziest nonsense spiritually. And I can tell you it's crazy nonsense because I tried it and it was a dead end. You know, I dabbled in Eastern mysticism and the various uh, religions of the East and looked for spiritual truth and, and some of that stuff that my, my uh, D&D buddies had introduced me to. I didn't get way into it, but I got enough into it that I was deluded and lost and with increasing darkness in my life. And finished university that way, kind of in hopeless despair, not being connected to God, being rootless, uh, and and uh, feeling myself lost, and knowing that I was empty, and having tried those alternatives and realized they were delusions, they were dust. And it was in that place that I traveled to Israel for a year, because the chaplain at Lehi said, if you don't know what you're going to do with your life and you don't want to worry about money and food for the next year, go work on a little community in Israel. And they'll feed you and you work for them and they won't pay you much like a stipend, but you can figure out life while you're doing that. And uh, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And on the way to Israel, I've told you before, many of you have heard this, another dear friend, the son of a family who had gone to Fritz Church during their time at Lehigh, who, who lived in Switzerland, fellow engineers with my father, Luke Badu. He, as same age as me, also did an engineering degree, part of which time he spent at Lehigh. He met with me on the way to Israel, and he invited me to think about starting a relationship with God again, asking me if I had peace. Forgive me if you've heard this before. I've told it in this. So many of you have heard this bit. Um, and asking me, do you have peace? And I did not. And asking me, how's your relationship with God? And I had not one of those. And so I just sort of hemmed and hawed for that. And 
he said, you know, I, I have peace, and it's because I've developed a relationship with God, and I do it just by studying His Word and spending time with Him, talking to Him. And I'm not better than you. I, I don't consider myself a good person, but I have peace. And he, His offer to me, that was it. He didn't like say, hey, let's have, a, let's have an evangelistic prayer right now. He just planted those words in me. And they echoed and hummed in my mind for the next week or so. And then I decided as I continued on my journey to that little community in Israel to give my life back to Jesus on his terms instead of mine. And I said, Lord, I don't know who you are. You know that I'm confused, I'm lost, I'm empty, and I need to be saved, and I know it. And So save me. Show me who you are. And here's my part. I will agree to read the Bible every day and talk to you. So it was that simple. The beginning of my turning back to Christ in my 20s. And I started to read the Bible every day. And I got to tell you, I did not like a lot of what I read at first. It graded me the wrong way. You know, I didn't want to give up this or that. I didn't want to die to myself. I didn't want to take up my cross and deny myself. I didn't like all the moral teaching he had to say. But I knew that my route had been a dead-end route and that he had life. And I said, okay, Lord, it's not you and your word that's a problem. It's me. So I'm going to persevere. I'm going to hang in there and read it and imbibe it, even if I don't like it, because I can see why I don't like it. And that's it's not your problem, it's mine. And I stuck in there with him. And I started to talk to him. And I started to ask him for things, like little things. Direct me in this. Provide here. Open a door in this place. And he started to answer little prayers. And each time I did, I was like, wow. This isn't just like a storybook God. He's the real deal. The more prayer he answered, and the more... And here's the other thing that happened to me. I was on a beach in one of those Mediterranean islands when I prayed that prayer of surrender. And, you know, I was empty. And I was feeling hopeless, and I was feeling like my life was in quicksand. Um, within a few, and I didn't have like a fireworks emotional experience when I made that decision. But a few days later, I noticed that I no longer felt that emptiness, that I felt like I had stepped onto a rock out of quicksand. And the rock was firm, and I didn't have to worry about my future anymore. It was going to be okay. All those were things that the Holy Spirit and Jesus is whispering to me and giving me a sense of rooting and grounding in him. But it was one of those witnesses to me that I've picked the real deal here. I've tried the other things and found them to be phony. This is real. None of those things was an anchor or a rock. They were all just quicksand. He is the rock. And as I started to follow him, he started to answer prayer, and he, and he led me in that little village uh, where I worked. There was a volunteer from France named Francois, and he was a committed Christian. He was there learning how to be a cattle farmer so he could go back to France and, and be a cattle farmer. And he asked me as he saw me reading the Bible and uh, every day, he said, why aren't you going to church? And I said, oh, I don't like church. I'm done with church. You know, I was kind of a little bit miffed at my home church because it hadn't saved me from my sins. You know, the church cannot save you from your sins. Only Jesus can, right? 
The church is the community of sinners being saved by grace. Of people who figured out they need a Savior and are trying to follow Him and figure out who He is and live with Him and walk with Him. You know, and so it took me a while to forgive my home church for not being Jesus. To figure out that's not who the church is. That Jesus is perfect. Church, not so much. But she's on the way, right? We're supposed to be on the way to be getting and learning how to be perfect. Learning how to love. And sometimes we do that by fits and starts and by messing up. But all in all, Jesus, grace, the Father's grace through the Son keeps loving us and helping us find Him. And Francois, I said, why aren't you going to church? You need to be going to church if you're following Jesus. That's the community of people who's following Jesus. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. And I went to church there. It was a, a combination Messianic Jewish and Gentile church in the city of Tiberias overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And I didn't like it at first. They were playing all this newfangled Jewish sounding music. And I was used to hymns because that's what my Methodist church growing up played. And um, But I, I remember when the preacher would get up to preach, it was like Jesus himself was speaking to my heart. It was like, wow. As I was coming alive in the Spirit, wow, I want to hear more of this. And, and, and so finally one day I stood up and I said, brothers and sisters, I've got a critical spirit. I'm having a hard time receiving what's going on here. But I know God's here and I want to be here. Pray for me. And they did pray for me and that critical spirit lifted off of me. And those folks became my home away from home, my family away from family. Their pastor discipled me. He took me through a systematic discipleship book where we studied the Scripture together and got basics of the faith together. Uh, and I've shared with you before that I, it was with him that I had the um, confession where I opened up some of the dirty secrets of my past and talked about where I needed to get clean. And James in the Scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can be healed. And I had figured out that principle was really good and I wanted to unburden my heart of the secret sins that had piled up on top of me. And my pastor, Shaul, was the one who listened to that confession as part of our discipleship process here in my early 20s and laughed at the end and said, you're forgiven. And I was thinking, I was so embarrassed to say the things that it collected. And it was no big deal to him. It was like, oh yeah, you're forgiven. You know, Jesus has taken all that. You don't bear that anymore. Hallelujah, right? Amen. And uh, I experienced the power of God because they were praying for bigger things than the little fish I was praying for. In that context, things that had to do with God's move in worldwide history. Not just the return of the Jewish people back to Israel, which is scattered in prophetic form throughout the Old Testament. That in these last days, he calls people from north, south, east, and west, and they would return the children of Jacob back to their promised land. But also about the return of Jesus and the things that were coming to pass in the world that were preparing the way for our Lord to return. The, like great pieces of a cosmic puzzle that were starting to fall into place. And to me, that blew my socks off. Blew my socks off. And you often discover this as a young Christian, that you catch fire about Jesus' second coming. 
that when you discover he's really coming back and to fulfill the promise he made when he left after having been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, and that there are pieces, he said, there are signs that you can see that will be like the, the leaves of a fig tree coming out. When you see those signs, you'll know that the time is near, that those signs have been coming to pass in our day and age in a unique way since the end of World War II and the reestablishment of the state of Israel that have never been the case for the last 2,000 years. Super exciting to see that the things Jesus said were going to happen, have been happening, that he's been revealed to be a true prophet, part of what his identity is the Son of God, who knows what's coming, most of what's coming, because there's some things the Father has kept a secret even from his Son, and that those things are taking place in our day and age. You know, to this day, I carefully watch what's happening in Israel. I get a news feed every day from Israel. It's a, the Jewish news organization, and I can see all these different things that are happening to realize that Jesus is coming back, and we're closer now than we've ever been before. We're in the last hours of the last days. And get ready. So that when he comes, you'll be among those who will lift up your head and say at last, my full salvation is here. Amen? You know, I want to, so listen, here's one of the, the things about um, today. You're set up already for a long message. <laughs> because we couldn't eat lunch until 1130. And it's Dickie's Barbecue. And if you didn't know that we were having that today, you're all invited to come downstairs and have Dickie's Barbecue with us in just a few minutes. I hope you take advantage of that. Uh, I, I want to recall to you back to, now that's the end of my introduction for myself. <laughs> um, I, I want to recall to you just a little piece of the history of Methodism that our founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley and his brother Charles, that they grew up in Christian households. They had a father who was a pastor. Their mother was their primary school teacher. Uh, he, their father was a nonconformist, meaning that he was kind of on the cutting edge of change in the Church of England and not always welcomed in the high stuffy Church of England pulpits. And uh, Wesley and his brother Charles both grew up thinking they were going to become Anglican clergymen, and they did. They got ordained in the Anglican church. Uh, the Anglicans have doctrine, basic Christian doctrine that if you read it and study it, it believes the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for our sins, that he was truly incarnate of the Virgin Mary, that he truly rose from the dead. Um, they don't believe that the Pope is the supreme bishop of the church. Um, they think that bishops are appointed to local areas and that's their jurisdiction. Um, they had some other things that they uh, objected to in Catholic teaching. Um, but most of Catholic teaching, they were in agreement with, 95% of it. And John and Charles grew up in that church with various influences. And he was trying so hard to be a good person. And he thought the best thing you could do if you were a truly good person was come to the United States and be a missionary to the Native Americans, to the Indians as they were called in those days. And so he came to America, he went to Georgia with his brother, 
His brother became the secretary to the governor of Georgia, and he became the little parish minister of that parish in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, he started tutoring a girl. Anybody remember the name of the girl? Eric, can you remember the name of the girl? <laughs> you want to take over, brother? <laughs> we can do a tag team here. Um, and he, he was tutoring her, and you kind of see, you read between the lines, they were falling in love with each other. And at some point, he decided it was not spiritual enough to marry her, and he broke it off. And she was devastated. Somebody else proposed to her, and she got married like that without telling him. Next Sunday, he found out she was married. He was furious. He denied her communion. <laughs> She complained to the governor. The governor brought Wesley up on charges for uh, officiating the office of the church incorrectly. He was put into, um, I don't know if it was exactly prison, but sort of like a, a waiting place to be heard on the charges. And he fled with his brother. He got on the first ship he could find and he fled back to England in total defeat, having come to the end of his own righteousness. Because that's what he was trying all those years to do, even as an ordained Anglican churchman, to do this Christian thing out of his own goodness, to try to win God's love. Now, so many believers actually have that secret attitude in their heart that if I'm good enough, finally I can win God's love. And it's, I have to say, a complete misunderstanding of grace. And here's Wesley on the ship, afraid. The ship is one of those 17th century ships that's not, you know, it's no battleship. <laughs> it's not sturdy in the sea. And the sea, as it was rocking the boat, he was terrified that he was going to die and he wasn't ready to meet God. And on the ship was a group of Moravians and they were singing hymns. They were praising God. And they were exalting that if they died, it was going to be good for them because they were going to be with Jesus. And he looked at their faith and he said, what do they have, have that I clearly don't have? He got back to England. He started to go to Moravian Bible study that was there in London. And he didn't want to go. If you read his diary, he said, I went very reluctantly. He's like, ah. Oh. I don't want to go. You ever felt like that about church? Uh, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, he felt it, right? I don't want to go, uh, but I'll go. And he went. And they were reading that day from Luther's preface to Romans. Romans chapter 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, I don't know how much more he heard, but he heard that. And he says that he felt his heart was strangely warm. This was at Aldersgate Street in London. And that he too was forgiven. 
that it wasn't about how good he was or how hard he tried, even to the nth degree of trying to be a missionary at the ends of the earth, because that's what they felt America was in those days, that that was not what was going to win his way into the kingdom. It was because of what Jesus had done for him on the cross. That was it. Bang. End of story. Grace. God's grace to be forgiven and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done to redeem us. That's the nature of redemption. If you've been kidnapped by somebody, generally you can't pay your own ransom, right? So they ask the rich people who, have kid, uh, who they've kidnapped you from to come up with the ransom. And, and if they don't come up with it, you're, you're toast, right? So who's the rich person who's ransomed us from the kidnapper of sin? That's right. That's right. And that's what Wesley got that day. And his brother, Charles, also struggling under deep depression and sorrow because he was trying in his own self-righteousness to be good and failing. Same thing happened to him within a short time that he got that I'm forgiven and it's not because I'm accepted by God. It's not because of me. I am loved by God. I'm included in God's grace. It's not because of me, but because of Jesus. That he has died for me and he's conquered death so I could be redeemed, forgiven, set free, set loose, given the love of God. And you know the great uh, hymn of the faith that, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, who he to him death pursued. Speaking about what our sins have done to Jesus. That, that's amazing love, amazing grace. That How can it be that I am loved and found by God? And I am. And those brothers experience in that revelation and acceptance of the truth of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. And because Jesus has died for us and we've received him and that gift that he did in paying for our sin, we are redeemed out of our sin. We are redeemed out of the mess of our life. We're redeemed out of our self-righteousness, trying to clean up the mess on our own. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus has done it for us. And what we have to do is trust him and follow him. That's it. And we're saved. The Holy Spirit fell on those brothers in such new way and power, and they began to go out and preach the gospel to people because they said, this is news that we can't hold to ourselves. And they began to share it, and they began to organize the people they were preaching to into methodical little discipleship groups. What's the name of our uh, church? It's First United Methodist. That's where the name came from. People looked at those little discipleship groups, and they made fun of them. All oh, those Methodists. They're so organized. But they were growing in those little small groups in love of God and each other and learning how to know and follow Jesus and learning about His grace and receiving it and being able to get up and go forward and share that life with others. And it caught England on fire. In fact, it could well be why England did not experience the kind of revolution that France did where they turned around and killed all the church leaders and threw off religion completely because the oppression there was so bad. In England, you had hosts of the poor and oppressed finding Jesus and being delivered from oppression, not because the politics of the country changed, but because their hearts changed. And they got free of the oppression within. 
And they sent preachers over to America with the real deal. Who began to play? That's why you find these little Methodist churches in every street corner, every small town, I should say, including here in Schuylkill County. So many little Methodist churches as they preached and planted the gospel in in these towns. Our our town being a one of them, 120 years ago. And if you look back, they even tried it prior to that, around the time of the Civil War. And I, I from studying, I can't really tell, but it looks like maybe some of the leaders were killed as sappers at Fredericksburg. And so all, all your key leaders, and I can't prove this, but if you, you look at the timing, it suggests this, that that's why that first spark of Methodism didn't quite take in the mid-19th century. But it took in 1902. And we've been teaching the gospel here since then. And is it, it's, like, it's like my home church, imperfect. There's no church that has the full version of everything that you can get about the gospel because there's always new riches to be revealed. But full of people who love Jesus and who know that they're saved by grace. Uh, many of whom have had dramatic Holy Spirit experiences. Some of whom have had their lives transformed out of self-righteousness into, it's not by my works I'm saved, it's by the grace of God. And it's Jesus I can boast in, not me. And hallelujah, because if I had to rely on me, I'd be in trouble. Amen? Amen? Sometimes you have to actually wallow in your sins a bit to find that out. That you can't lift yourself to heaven on your own bootstraps. That it takes failing and falling on your face, sinking into the quicksand before you'll look up and hear somebody tell you, hey, there's a rock nearby. All you have to do is reach out and grab it. And you'll get out of the quicksand. Hold on to that rock. That's the good news that we got to share. And we live in it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And we're just, oh, I bet the barbecue's ready. <laughs> Let's bow in prayer and then we're going to sing. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.